Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. This is episode 449, and I have a quirky title for you. Let me share it, and then I will explain myself. The title is How to Motivate Christians to Stop Caring So Much. As Ricky told Lucy in the I Love Lucy television series, Lucy, you have some splaining to do. And so it does sound odd that I'm making an appeal for Christians to stop caring so much. But let me explain. You see, one of the side effects of chronic debilitating sickness among caring friends is unsolicited advice from the folks who love you. You see, there is a tension here. You want people to care for you. I want people to care for me. But there can be an unwitting burden attached to the advice that you receive as they suggest the latest cure, the thing that worked for them, or their latest Google research. Have you ever shared a health prayer request with others and then you began to receive a lot of unsolicited health advice or the latest cure? This scenario plays out all the time. And I would imagine that most of you that are listening to the podcast or watching this video, that you have been on the receiving end of a lot of loving people. And I do want to emphasize that point. What I'm telling you should be this way. I mean, Christians should love, Christians should want to share Uh, to help another person. We do this because we are Christians. Christians are the most caring people in the world. When they run these uh, statistical analysis uh, year in, year out, they find that Christians donate more money than anyone else. We provide more resources to the hurting and to the homeless than anyone else. We're the world's largest volunteer army. Think about that. We're not getting paid for what we do. We do this because we want to do this. We are motivated from within, going about and doing good for the, for the sake of Christ. And then if you take that global generosity down on a micro level, we do similar things with each other. We make house visits. We make phone calls. We solicit funds on the behalf of each other. We prepare meals. We build houses. These things are what we do. We are Christians. Christ came into our life. He imposed himself. He regenerated us. We became born again. He's called us to grow up into Christ's likeness. And so what would Jesus do? Well, he would love us and we want to love others. That is why we do these things for the sake of the gospel. But there is another side Uh, to this good thing that we do for each other. It's the burden of the sickness and uh, the sick person and the endless advice. It complicates their hurting souls. Sometimes it, it even amps up their soul noise as they wrestle with what is wrong with them, plus they have the advice, the unsolicited advice, and in many cases the unhelpful advice that they receive. And so they have to wrestle physically 
Are my margins clear? Uh, should I have this life-altering surgery? Should I follow the path of my friend who had cancer and this is what happened to them and there was a success story? Should I do that? Or should I listen to my doctor's advice who uh, is taking me down another path and how will that turn out? And then all of my loving friends giving me uh, their books, their stories, their bottles, their paraphernalia. Try this, do this, eat this, eat that, don't eat that. Well, that can really be a burden on the person who's carrying the weight of a physical problem. Let me share with you just a few assorted stories that talk about uh, the love that Christians offer to people. Here's kind of a funny story. It was a little over two decades ago. I, I was doing a counseling conference, actually at the church that we attend now. And at some point during that conference, I told the conferees that I collect bisons. Now, there's a story behind that I'll not share at this point. But, and I don't collect bisons anymore, by the way, so don't send me any bisons. But I used to. And in that conference, I realized, wow, if you say something like that in a public arena, uh, you're going to get a lot of bisons. And there were bisons coming out of the woodwork. I got a little bison statue. I got a bison picture that I had on my wall for a long time. I got bison stationery. I, I got a bison t-shirt. I, I got bison cufflinks. <laughs> I got endless bison. Bison ad infinitum. Now, Again, don't send me any bison, unless it's super, super cool, and then you can do that. But I will be the sole determiner if it is super, super cool. And please understand that I'm a minimalist, and so if it's not super, super cool, it'll end up at the goodwill. I will, I will give it away. I won't keep it because we just, we're not materialist. But those cufflinks were super, super cool. And of all the bison paraphernalia that I received, I have kept those all of these decades Later, But I realized in that conference, be careful what thy little tongue saith because people will respond with generosity and kindness because that is what Christians do. Let me share a few other stories that are a little more serious. I have a friend who has a chronic debilitating disease that the doctors cannot get their finger on. In fact, it's so debilitating. She uh, uh, got this uh, shortly after her marriage. She's had it for multiple decades to where she will spend seasons of her life prostrate, just laying out where she can't do anything, just a minimal activity uh, where she has to rest for hours and hours. I'm, and I'm talking about lifting a cup or eating a meal. And so it is a very debilitating disease that she has, and it's fraught with so many uh, ancillary problems that she has to wrestle with because she just can't hardly move. Well, I have met with her and her husband for many years and for hours at a time, and it is a joy to serve them. But one of the things that we talk about is the endless advice that she receives. And I know from her experience that it is a spiritual burden on her soul. She is glad that people love her, but she has a close network of friends. She has, she has a, an excellent medical community that is surrounding her. She has caregivers that are providing for her, but people can say things that uh, she just doesn't have the energy, uh, she doesn't have the wherewithal to just deflect and work through all of that advice, and people, so many people can't read the room and understand what is going on dynamically with her, and so it becomes a weight on her soul. 
this came more at home to us a few years ago when Lucia had her first miscarriage. And I remember her laying across the couch in our, our home, and the phone rang back then when phones rang, and they were tied to walls and cords. And she had the phone beside her beside the couch, and she picked it up, and she went through that story one more time. And as I was listening to her, I thought, this is not good for her. She's crying again. She's walking down that same path, that well-worn path of grief again. But the person on the line, it's like this is the first time that they have heard the story, not recognizing that this is the 10th time that she told the story. I learned during that season is that when one spouse hurts, the other spouse suffers as well. Not in the same way, but they suffer too because a loving spouse will suffer when their spouse is going through suffering. And I didn't want her to suffer, and I recognize we need to have a plan uh, that is broader than what we have implemented thus far because she can't keep doing this from the loving people who are trying to care for her. I also learned that uh, it would be better for us not to tell people about being pregnant until after the first trimester. We were so excited. Uh, we didn't even think that this could be a miscarriage. And so as soon as we found out, we started telling people and the whole world was excited. Unfortunately, the whole world came back and started asking questions and caring for her. And then the weight of that just came down hard on her and on us. Well, then later, she was pregnant with our second child, and we did not have the birth, uh, the conception date correct. And so the pregnancy went into what some people thought was the 10th month. And so she was getting warnings, and there was pressure being applied to her unwittingly and unhelpfully, but they did not recognize that one, we, we had didn't have the date exactly right. We had a medical community that was walking us through this. We were getting sound advice, but there was pressure being placed upon us that we needed to respond according to their preferences and according to what they thought was right. And it was very unhelpful, even though in their minds they were loving us. One final story. I've had chronic back trouble since I was a teenager, and it continued to uh, worsen until 2017 to where I eventually had back surgery. That was the very last thing on the list that I would ever do. And so I had back surgery and it did help in a moderate way. But prior to that, uh, when I would speak at conferences, I would never tell anybody that I had back trouble because of this problem that I'm presenting to you here. If I told them that I had back trouble, I would receive books, I would receive bottles of medicine, I would receive equipment, and I would receive a lot of advice. And I had a closet full of equipment, a shelf full of pills, and a stack of books, and I had a ton of advice, and none of those things worked. But I was doing this conference in Alaska, and I was speaking on a Saturday, and it was going to be a nine-hour event, and so I couldn't fake it till I make it. I could, if I was speaking for an hour or two, I had little postures and ways of distorting or contorting my body and little tricks that I could do to bring relief to my back while I was speaking, and nobody would know what I was doing, but not for nine hours. I knew that I would be leaning on chairs and propping up and sitting and doing things that an ordinary speaker would not do, and it would draw attention to myself, which would create questions. And so I decided I would just let the cat out of the bag. Hey, here's the deal. And so when you see me doing these things, here's the reasons why, but everything 
is fine. Well, at the first break, this very loving deacon had me in the back room of this church building on the floor, stretched out, doing stretching exercises. And as he was stretching me out, he was crying. He had back surgery, and stretching helped him. And he knew that it would be my cure as well. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that I've done a thousand of these stretching exercises and it does not work. And I'm at the end of my rope and I'm going to have to have surgery soon. But he cared. And that's what Christians do. And so in these situations, what you have is two levels of care. And I want to walk through each one of those levels in just a moment. But it takes discernment when giving advice. And that's really the big idea. You and I have to read the room. More specifically, we have to pray about whether this is helpful for this person or am I just mapping my success story over them, which happens all too often. This worked for me, so I know it worked for you as though God is writing the same narrative for them that he's writing uh, for me, that he wrote for me. And that's just not true. Two people have cancer, they're walking down two unique paths. Two people have back trouble, they're walking down or crawling down two unique paths. What worked for one did not work for the other. This person lived a long time, this one didn't. This one had life-altering surgery, this one didn't. It's not the same. And so we have to read the room and be mindful of the person who is struggling before we provide our care. And so one level of care could say, I care for you, which is why I am giving you advice. And you give them advice. That may or may not be good. That is a lower level of care where we just give the advice without necessarily reading the room. But then there is a deeper level of care that sounds something like this. I care for you, which is why I'm not giving you advice. Or I'm going to give you carefully caveated, caveated advice that releases you from any expectation to follow through with what I'm suggesting to you. Now, that is a conversation, this deeper level of care, that is a conversation that you actually want to have. Because if you're truly loving someone and you're giving them advice, you want to release them from that advice. We want to have enough self-awareness to recognize that what worked for me might not apply to them. And rather than just giving them the advice with no caveat whatsoever, a loving thing to do would be to place the caveat there saying, hey, I'm releasing you from this I just want to share this with you. Now, what that will do in many cases is that you will see their countenance change as a burden will start lifting from them. And then it can open the door to a deeper conversation so that you can actually talk about this because this is something that you need to talk about with the person that is struggling if you're giving them advice. I don't recommend. In fact, I don't. Just give people advice. Uh, typically, in almost all cases, is someone that I know, someone that I have a relational uh, bridge with to where we can have this deeper conversation because I want them to know that I care for them. Here's some advice. I want to be releasing. Can we talk through this so that I haven't placed a burden on you? And so I would just ask you to consider as you 
if you do give advice, that you carry that advice further and that you put some footnotes and caveats to it so that you can release them from any burdens that they may take from it. Let me give you, now, I want to turn just a little bit and talk to the sick person and specifically about the spiritual burdens that they can carry when people do give you advice. One of those is the fear of man. The fear of man could sound like, I don't want to disappoint them by rejecting their advice. And so if the person who has the chronic problem struggles with fear of man, there is a possibility that it could look like this, where they're looking up at that person and they really don't want to disappoint that person. And so the person who's giving advice is actually controlling the sick person because the sick person struggles with fear of man. And if that is true, that will most definitely place a burden on the sick person. And they could be jumping through all kinds of uh, hoops uh, because they don't want to disappoint the person who gave the advice. And it can even be further complicated if the advice doesn't work and then they go back and report back that your advice was no good. That will further complicate their fear of man. And so if you do struggle with fear of man and you're going through a chronic problem, there is a sturdiness that's required on your part. Now, I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment, but there is, it is essential if you're going through sickness and you're struggling in any of these ways, uh, that there is a spiritual sturdiness that's required on your part. And so there is a physical problem that you're going through, and there are spiritual essentials that you have to possess, or uh, the lack of spirituality could really complicate the physical problems along with the interactions with other people, and one of those is the fear of man. Another temptation could be self-righteousness. Now, that is, a, that is a different dynamic. That is actually an antithetical dynamic to where fear of man looks up at the other person and you don't want to displease them, so you take their advice. Well, self-righteousness is now the sick person is on top looking down on the person who's giving advice, and it sounds something like this. I am frustrated about all this advice I'm receiving from others. The person is angry. The chronic person is angry, and anger is a manifestation of the heart of self-righteousness. And now you're looking down on the other person, and that too will complicate the chronic problem that you're going through. There is an interplay between our organic and non-organic selves, our physical and our spiritual selves. And so we don't want to be spiritually contaminated while we're going through a physical problem. Now, this is where the community of faith needs to be careful, and that's why we must have this conversation, because we don't want to complicate their lives. As I was saying earlier, it will amp up that internal dialogue, making more soul noise going on inside of them. And so now they have to deal with that in addition to whatever the physical malady is that they're going through. And so there are three temptations. One is fear of man, where they're managed by this advice or the opinion of other people. The other is self-righteousness, where they're looking down and they're angry at the people who are giving them advice. And then the third temptation uh, is doubt. Doubt sounds something like this. I wonder if they are right. I wonder if I am making a mistake. And so now we're in James 1 with the double-minded person. This is the person that is uncertain. And so this unsolicited advice comes in. And now we have 
multiple competing advice coming in where one person says you should eat meat and this would give you a cure for what you're going through. The other person says you should never eat meat. And it's the fact that you were eating meat that you have this problem. You should be a vegan. And so if you're a vegan, you'll be cured. There are two pieces of advice that are polarized. And now all that advice is coming into the chronic person, which leaves them in doubt. They don't know which way to go. And so in addition to the weight of what they are carrying now, they are oscillating as a double-minded person. They need wisdom, but the wisdom that they need is being complicated by the unsolicited advice. And so these are three temptations that the sufferer could be going through and as Christians, we want to be aware of these possibilities so that we don't complicate their lives. We want to serve them and not make things more difficult for them. I talked earlier about the necessity of the sufferer being a sturdy soul, that you have to spiritually take charge of your life as you are physically going through a problem. Have you ever thought about how suffering works with the gift of leadership? Suffering and leadership is one coin, two sides. You see, you can suffer and not lead yourself through it. That's going to make your suffering worse. If you don't lead yourself through your suffering, you will cave to the fear of man, and, and people's opinions will drag you all over the medical landscape where you're doing everything that you could possibly do, and none of those things work because you're not leading. They are leading. If you struggle with anger or self-righteousness, well, again, they're controlling you in a different kind of way. Their advice, well, now you are angry, and so their advice is highlighting a spiritual deficit in your life because there's a triggering effect, which means there's a spiritual deficit in your life, and so you're not leading yourself, either struggling with fear of man or struggling with self-righteousness. And then, of course, doubt. Uh, is very similar. And so leadership and suffering go hand in hand, and they are absolutely essential. And so when a person is suffering, they must know how to lead themselves through it, or they will become victims of their suffering. And I'm using victim in a very loose way. But, and what I mean by that is they will be subjugated. Uh, they, they will be serving their suffering, and their suffering will be a cruel taskmaster uh, because they're not getting on top of this fear of man or taking care of this self-righteousness or seeking the wisdom of God, which sometimes means speaking the truth in love and telling people that, no, no, thank you. I, I have caregivers, and I love you, appreciate what you're trying to do. Uh, but I don't need that advice right now. And I'll talk a little bit later how to frame that conversation. But if you don't lead yourself through your physical issues, then you will become a victim of them. Christian men, women, and children will have to uh, choose uh, that I am going to lead myself through this or I'm going to be managed by this and we cannot be managed. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Christ in Gethsemane. When Christ was in Gethsemane, he, he went a little farther, as the Matthew text says, and he spent time praying with his father, wrestling with the cop. Should he take it, not take it? He submitted to the will of his father. That was an intense suffering time that we can't fully get our minds around. Uh, we can kind of, in an educated way, 
discern what was going on there, but yet we can't understand all the complexities. But in the most simplified way to understand it, he was suffering intensely in that moment uh, in Gethsemane. And then as he was coming out, what was happening? His men were sleeping on the job. He suffered, and it was essential that he lead them through his suffering because they were not leading well. And that happens so often. I've illustrated it this way before, is that a mother who has a cold, a common cold, and she has three children around her kneecaps that are needing this and needing that. And you can see her with the Kleenex stuffed in her nose, and, and she's making the meal for the day for the kids and the kids are around her knees. What is she doing? She is leading herself through her suffering or she will be a victim of her suffering by getting angry at the children and not persevering through it. Moms understand this idea of leadership and suffering. You don't have a day off. And so if you're suffering, they have to lead themselves through it or the suffering will not go well for anybody. And that's what happened with Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was the one that was suffering, and he was the one that had to pick up the mantle of leading himself through it because his disciples were being careless at that moment. And there was stuff about ready to go down as Judas was going to enter into the scene and kiss him, betray him uh, with a kiss. And so it's absolutely essential for us who are going through chronic back pain, going through cancer, going through miscarriages, whatever that suffering is, we have to understand we can't be a victim of it, that we do have to step up to the call of leadership. And there is persevering grace for this. There is empowering favor for this, and God will give you this. Now, here are a couple of ways that you can lead yourself through your suffering. One is speak the truth in love. When people give you advice, just ask God to give you the courage to speak the truth in love at this moment uh, so that you can lead the situation. Because if you don't, uh, well, then there's going to be a bison just coming through the woodwork, and you don't want that. Number two is talk to a close network of friends and tell them what you need. Like, for example, I want you to run interference for me. Uh, I want you to be the person that, that people talk to. I don't want the weight of their suggestions right now, for example. Or you could have a, a couple of a medical people that you rely on, and, and that's going to be the advice that you are going to follow. And then when people give you their medical advice, you say, well, I have medical advice. And so you can speak the truth in love, and, and then you can have a close network of friends that can run interference or be that competent experts in whatever field that you need to help you through your suffering. Now, here's his framework response, talking about speaking the truth in love that you can use. Someone read this and they said that, hey, can I use this? And absolutely, you can. You can take it, plagiarize it, adapt it, rewrite it, write it the way you want to. It doesn't matter to me. But this is a, just a template of a response when someone gives you advice. It's under the, the, the heading of speaking the truth in love. It goes like this. Thank you so much for your care. I consider it an honor that you care for me, especially now. 
But right now, I believe that that God wants me to follow this advice. Now, I would not hesitate from dropping the, the God card at that moment. I mean, if you believe that God wants you to go down this path, drop the God card. Let them know uh, in, in the most clear way that you can. And that's probably the clearest way that you can. Uh, right now, I believe that God wants me to follow this advice, follow this path. They have laid out a plan for me, and I believe this is the best direction for me, at least for now. If the Lord leads in another direction, I, I'm most definitely open to it. And though I know you have already, please pray for me. Be assured that I will consider your advice. As you can imagine, this is new for me, so I'm, I'm holding my plans loosely. Again, thank you for your care. Your care and your prayers are the things that bring me daily encouragement. Now, this kind of framework will do a couple of things. One, it will let them know that you're in faith for what you're doing. You have a plan. And they will know that you are moving down a very clear plan so it can release them. And then number two, you're drawing a clear line while not being dismissive of their care. And that's what speaking the truth can do. This is episode 449, my quirky title, How to Motivate Christians to Stop... Excuse me. How to Motivate Christians to Stop Caring So Much... Before I finish, I want to ask just a few questions, two for you and two for the sick person. Uh, number one, what is your takeaway from what I have shared with you? And if there is something that, that you could take away from what I have shared, what, what will you do? What will be your plan to change or to implement that, that takeaway that you have? Number two, perhaps talking to a person in chronic pain would be an enlightening conversation for you and a burden-lifting one for them. And so the next time that you encounter a person who is struggling in a particular way, physically I'm talking about, in context, ask God to give you the courage to have this expanded conversation with them. Uh, I think it would be enlightening, and I also think it would be a relief to them because you, you know that they are receiving all kinds of advice. And to have someone to come along that like is reading the room, is intuitive, and, and they see not just the problem, but they see this other problem that this person is getting a lot of advice it could be a, a time of laughter, actually, because I've had this conversation with people, and the person who's going through the chronic pain just laughed. Yeah, yeah, I received. In fact, I had this conversation yesterday with someone uh, whose spouse has cancer, and we talked about this, and I shared my title uh, with my friend. I said, it's funny that we're even talking about this because I've just outlined an episode that says how to motivate Christians to stop caring so much. And so we had a good laugh because he understood it. And anybody going through chronic pain understands this problem because they are living it because Christians love to do things for people. And so Perhaps talking to a person in chronic pain would be an enlightening conversation and burden lifting for them. And so would you consider doing it? Now, question number three, this is to the sufferer. Are you bitter with all the unsolicited advice that people give you? If you are, what is your plan to change yourself so that you don't complicate your physical problems with spiritual problems? 
Now, it could be fear of man. It could be self-righteousness. You could be in the throes of doubt because of the diversity of opinions that are being that are given to you. But has it created bitterness or anger or self-righteousness, whatever? Uh, are there spiritual problems that are growing in your soul because of this, what I'm talking about here? If there is, you need a plan for change. You need to talk to somebody and just let the air out of the room and say, I've got this chronic problem, but I'm struggling spiritually too because of this, and I need some help and talk to someone through it. And then uh, number four, uh, to the sufferer. Do you have someone who can protect you from the, proce- from the process, uh, protect you from, as well as process all of the advice, perhaps a spouse, a parent, a pastor, some other spiritual leader, but you need people running interference for you. You need a competent team that can keep you from the, the temptation of double-mindedness and doubt. Uh, you need a spiritual advisor, uh, a disciple maker, someone that, that can really speak into the spiritual dynamics of what's going on in your life. And so do you have that, that team? And, you know, two or three people, we're not talking about 50 people, but there is safety and a multitude of counselors. And so you, do you have that counselor net? of people that can advise according to different levels of expertise that they have. This is episode 449, How to Motivate Christians to Stop Caring So Much. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.